Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined with Bill Gerards, a storyteller, creator, and uh, writer. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, hello there. Sitting here in my lounge room with a cat sitting on my chest because she won't leave me alone. Well, that's what cats do, isn't it? Yeah, every time I pat her, a little bit of fluff flies into the air, though, so I'm trying not to... I don't know how much my my daily intake of cat hair is, but it's got to be considerable. (laughs) Yeah, right. As a writer, do you actually read comics? Yeah, yeah, I've been... I'm pretty much an all-rounder. I in comics since I was a teenager. I've been um, into sci-fi pretty much the same time. Less into sci-fi novels, uh, more uh, history and eclectic stuff. I've gotten into a bit of fantasy lately, but th- that's that's more of a newer thing for me. And with shows and movies and all that kind of stuff, I tend to watch a bit of everything. I mean, with what, with what my business is, you pretty much have to. So I, I keep myself very informed but also because i enjoy it let's talk a little bit about your business before we get into it majorly later on how did uh, beyond reality start well it's just a company name that we needed to come up with specifically for the uh, the comics because we yeah. used to be just armageddon expo and as we diversified about 10 plus years ago we needed a, a better name that was more indicative of both of the things we were doing yeah right uh, so and i mean it, it's it was doing a road trip up to hokitika in uh, up north and we every half hour we'd we'd sort of get into reception zone and I'd email my web guy and say here's a couple of names that we've thought of and then half an hour later I check my emails when we're in the next zone and he'd go none of these are available this one is and, and pretty much beyond reality media came out of trial and error in terms of what web what websites and uh, domain names are available. It's interesting that I think a lot of businesses are kind of going that way now. It's uh, you have to come up with at least ten before. Uh before you get the one that you want or the yeah. one that you yeah, can and, have. And I'm, I'm sort of indicative of we're not just a publishing company. So, I mean, right. that's a minor part of what we do. So okay. um, it's trying to make sure that we've got everything lined up. So, All right. All right. We'll, we'll delve into that uh, a little bit later. Let, let's talk comics specifically. Uh, what, what do you remember even uh, your, your first comic book? I actually do. It was... A federal comics, it was a, which is a Australian reprint of Marvel comics, and it was, I think it was a black and white copy of Incredible Hulk 284. Wow! The Hulk had just got sort of Bruce Banner's mind, and the leader was fighting him, and it was it was a very different book to what I was uh, I thought it was, and just pretty much picked up and started chewing through them from there. Mm. Uh, are you still reading Hulk? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the moment, it's very different to what it was, which is what the Hulk is. I mean, the Hulk's Hulk's a character that is compared to pretty much any other comic character. I think um, is totally, always totally different. I mean, like you look at Superman and he's or the Flash or Wonder Woman or Batman or Captain America. I mean, there's changes, but pretty much it's the same dude. There's not a lot of ground up changes. Whereas every ten years, there's virtually a different Hulk. Uh, he's smart he's stupid he's evil he's uh 
an immortal horror monster. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things. So it, it's an interesting character to read. I, I personally, I've I've tried reading the Hulk, but for some reason, it's I've never, uh, it's never resonated with me. You can't go wrong with the Peter David run. Well, this is it's this not, is what it's I hear. It's not flawless, but there's some great stuff there. Some of, I mean, it depends on what you read. I mean, that's the whole. Me, some people it just doesn't connect with. I'm not a massive fan, but I do read it. You've listed uh, some of the genres and the, the type of stuff that you've that you've checked out. What kind of comics do you prefer? Like what style uh, or character wise? Um, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of black and white indie sort of comics. I mean, I grew up pretty much on Marvel and DC, so mm-hmm. or I'm more of a Marvel person than a DC person. But yeah. for me, it, it does come down to the quality of the artwork and, and the story and some things just that you don't pay attention to. Like, I was never a big Superman fan, and then John Byrne started doing him, and, and I, I just ate that up. And the same thing, like, I enjoyed Alpha Flight when Byrne was on it, and then when Bill Matteo, Matflo, uh, I always get his name wrong, took over, it just didn't quite pop for me. So there, there's always ebbs and flows. I mean, at the moment... There's certain ones that I'll go out of my way. East to West has been one of, one of the top ones I've been enjoying reading. That, that is a great book. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've I was, loved um, that immensely. Yeah. I mean, the only bad thing about it is that it just finished. So, yeah. um, Well, depending on how many books you're reading, but, I guess, Bill. It, uh, you know. Yeah. Honestly, anything Hickman's writing at the moment is perfect. I mean, his stuff is so, so different to what everybody else is doing. Yeah, that um, when he took over his recent take on the X Men is just like this is the only thing I'm going to regret about is in like six or seven years when somebody else steps in and fucks it up, it's um, <laughs> it'll be something different. But uh, at the moment, it's it's uh, I'm really enjoying it, and his Secret War was just brilliant and very underrated in my mind. In no, I think yeah, I think I was one of the ones I would have been one of the ones that was underrating it, and I think at the time there was just. There was so there's so many crossovers and so many big yeah. Big but the, event the difference books. with Secret War was he he'd spent like two or three years or more building up to it. It wasn't just here's a crossover. It was here's the culmination of all the stuff that I've been doing, and, oh. and that's a very different thing. It's like watching the um the, the Crisis on Infinite Earths on TV. Mm-hmm. They they spent a good six months building up to it, and that gave it a very different vibe to any other crossover they'd done beforehand. I mean, the fact that it was great as well was different anyway. But yeah. it was but it was very much you know here's Arrow, here's Flash, here's Flash, talking about it in virtually every episode. This stuff is coming, and you have to be ready for it. Changed the tone of it when you got to got to it, which Secret Wars has got a lot of, provided you've read the stuff before it. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I'll... you can't go wrong with Doom in a white costume. I mean, that just that just looks. It's such a very different, but still the same look that I I love it. It was pretty far out. It was pretty far yeah. out. But but it was it, for me. I think it was that. Well, I think that was, was that Hickman's uh, Secret War. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was that the culminate? Like that was the end of all that the big it. Marvel. Yeah, that was the end. It was the end of the road for that whole thing. And pretty much he paused and then did a few other things. And he's doing the X Men now. So it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> Is is that kind of what you're what you're looking for? Is it more of a as a as a reader, I suppose? I don't uh, know. I'm I'm so eclectic in, in what I read. I'll read basic stuff really well. Um, Sex Criminals was was a, a, a was a, a joy book. as well. And hmm. and I mean, just I don't know. I read a I read a bit of everything that comes out. I'm a digital reader because I just can't get to the print stores. Yep. I. I don't know. There's ones that it's like TV. There's certain shows that oh my god, I'm watching this. Like Mr. Robot and Watchmen were two shows that I was watching as soon as I could get them this year. Yeah. Whereas there's other shows like you know I enjoy The Flash and and Arrow and Supergirl and whatnot, but I can wait a day or two to get to it. The same thing with like with The Good Place. I want to watch that straight away. Oh, that's another great. That's another great show. Yeah. There's certain ones that I'll I'll again I watch I watch a bit of everything. What actually compelled you to get into uh, writing uh, and, and creating your own your own worlds, your own universes? I was going to Comic-Con in, I want to say 2008, but it could be 2006. It's one of the two. Mm-hmm. And I got picked up at the airport. And, uh, you mean by San Christian Diego? Goss- or? So in San Diego yep. by uh, Christian Gossett, who's a friend of mine. And he was going to, we were going to go to his house and the next day we were going to drive to San Diego. And he like, no, we're going to drive right now. We're going straight to San Diego. And it's only a three, four hour drive. But after a, you know, 12 hour flight, yeah. I'm like, okay. So we're, we're on this drive and I'm, I'm fully on. I'm, 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 uh, sometimes 
I'm not a massively social person, but I can turn it on when I want to, uh, to be funny and and, and engaging when yep. I need to, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, and I was fully on because I was a little spaced out, <laughs> and and I started pitching him this comic idea that I had, and was like, "This is the idea that I had," which eventually became the Warden comic. And Christian was like, "That's great. We should write that. We should put that together." And that's pretty much where it started. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten to, to do it because just this, the idea to sit down and write hadn't really occurred to me because I didn't really think I was capable of it. And if anybody, there's, there's two guys that have really helped me in terms of what I've done. And the first, the main one is Christian Gossett because Gossett is, he's a legend. I mean, he knows the stuff. He knows story. He knows art. He, he's a director. He's directed a couple of CW shows recently. Yeah, right. So he worked with me on both Attica and Warden to sort of develop the initial stories. The The other guy was a guy that I, I want to say two years into the project, but it might be less, but it might be more, was Richard Fairgrave. And he's over in America at the moment doing uh, Blastosaurus with Paul Eiding and for Golden Apple Comics. Yep. Shout out to Golden Apple Comics. And he was, I, I didn't learn from him as much as I did like from Gossett, because Gossett was really, he was he was Obi Wan to me. He, yeah. he knew what he was doing, and he could guide you there and tell you when you were doing crap. But Richard was my first time where I was, I, I felt like I caught up to him very quickly in terms of the writing. He knows he's he's a very different storyteller than I am. But mm-hmm. with what we did, we argued a lot, and, and I think it worked out quite well for the books. Yeah, right. Uh, so, I mean, so, and again, I, l- I learned bits and pieces from him as well. But, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now, I'm doing mostly on my own. I've got the two books that are the most popular books we put out are The Darwin Fairies and The Time Traveling Tourist. And I just finished writing, and we've got the first 10 pages of art for The Time Traveling Tourist, too. Oh, nice. Uh, and that's that should be out later in the year, but the artist has had to take a month break because he's going to Antarctica for a thing. Um which is, how can you say, no, you need to draw my comic when you can go to Antarctica? I'm like, no, just go. I just told yeah. him not to make sure he didn't freeze his fingers off. <laughs> and I'm pretty happy with that. The, 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 as a book, the, the second one's come together quite nicely. Oh, great. Hopefully. I mean, I, I sort of took what, we, what worked on the first one and, and amplified it. And it's, it's a similar sort of, it's like my definition of a sequel. It's a, a similar vibe, but a different story. But the time traveling tourist is a fun one because generally he works in a world where there's not a lot of big stakes, that it's not a lot of life or death, and mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to most comics. And I actually quite enjoy that about him. He's a fun Beethoven Jones, who's the main character, my my most enjoyable character to write. So. And, and where did was it was it the the story or was it the character? Like where where did that character? Did... Character. So he's just a fun character because he's so. He's so innocent, but not innocent, and he's so happy with life that it's um it, it it's like whenever I think of he, he's easy to write for me because if you put him in a position where something bad happens and you can you know that he's not going to it's not going to get worse but it's going to be better and he's going to have be smiling the whole way mm-hmm. and that makes him an easy sort of character to write because he does things that no sane person would normally do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So where did he come from? Like, what was the what was the impetus to create this character? Oh, I don't know. Uh, we, we, he was when we, I designed him. We, me and Richard, talked about, but sent through a bunch of different things, and we picked out different designs from like the fifties and and Flash Gordon and a few other ones. But but he's a time traveling tourist, so his whole onus is to go around and have fun like a tourist. I mean, you're a tourist. You go. You don't go to save the world. You go to look at the pyramids and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and that's all he is. He's just does it through time travel. And, and that set his tone. And it's just uh, once we worked out that he was going to be a goofball and not really have any a villain to go against, it made a lot of the stuff a lot easier to sort of create and ride around with him. And, and as we progressed, he, he becomes easier and easier for me to, to get because, you know, he, he's an easy one to get into the headspace of. Yeah. Right. How's the book and, and the character been received? Where we've been, honestly, the hardest part is that we're based in New Zealand. I've been pushing the last few months to, to get them more into uh, libraries and, and schools, which yep. is something we've been very lax about doing. 
I've done Comic Con the last couple of years, and and there's people that recognise us when we're there, and done a few events, uh, certainly enough Armageddon events around New Zealand. So there's a general good reception, but it's still a matter of trying to get people to read comics. Yeah, and the, the New Zealand comic scene is is not big. So I did um, want to ask not, you about there's that. There's not many stores. There's not many um, outlets for it, and uh, the retail scene for books is very not very well designed for them either. So it's an interesting one to sort of beat around with. I just keep waving the flag, hoping that somebody notices. Are the books are available digitally. We've done some digital. We've actually had a couple of them um, transcribed into uh, Spanish as well. All oh, right. There's a few of the books are digital on a uh, South American service. They, they took about three or four of our books. Oh, so, right. I mean, so there's, there's progress in those areas. I mean, when we first started, the whole point was that it was going to be a digital project. We weren't going to print books. Print was dead. Let's do digital as the new king. But as anybody who does digital quickly realizes, unless you're prepared to beat the war drums of Reddit and other things or nonstop, and even then, there's no money in it. Yeah. And, and and not that it's about, you know, uh, capitalism, but, you know, if you're paying to make something, you have to be able to sell it. And digital is all about giving it away for nothing. And that makes it hard to, to look at it and go, this was an investment that we can do. Or you can, you know, we did, I did New York Comic Con in 2011. And it, that's where I got a good vibe for it because there's not, unless you can give somebody something in their hand, what are you going to do? And that, and digital is very much that. It's it's here's a website, go to it. But you know, for promotion, it's a bitch. Yeah. So you ultimately you you have to end up printing something anyway. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I've gotten to a point where I'm pretty happy with how we're printing it and why we're printing it. But it it took us a few years to sort of work out. Like we did some comics, and now all of my stuff just comes out as trades. It's just it's it's an easier thing. I write it as one big story. I mean, pretty much all, most comics nowadays are um, four-part or six-part stories. Yeah. There's not a lot of individual comics out And, and Image has just moved. There have been quite a few series now, uh, particularly out of Image, that are shifting straight to uh, straight to trade paperback rather than uh, rather than doing singles, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. I, I, I was at uh, Comic-Con in two. Thousand, I, I think, and it was the last time they did a retailer-only day. Mm-hmm. Like, there used to be a day before it where yeah, it was on the Wednesday, was, just on the Wednesday, right? Yeah. And I, I went to this, and it was, I was like, this is great. And I was sitting in this, um, this big, one of the big halls with sort of round dining tables, but nobody was eating or anything. And Jeff's bone, Jeff Smith, Jeff Smith, yep, Jeff Smith, got up and pretty much said, "I make more money from graphic novels." individual comics are a waste of time this is this is the future this is where things are going and this was at a point where that wasn't a thing and and that he was very pathetic about it because he um he picked it right it's certainly uh it's better to sell a book than i think a 20 page small book because you can flick through one very quickly but certainly for uh more um generic readers it's better to give them a bit more meat on the bone to yeah through. yeah and and uh, to some level i do agree I, I i worked in a comic shop uh both before and after the trade explosion uh and it, it's it's actually a really interesting thing it was it was a lot easier to get people to read uh even like people going oh i'm thinking about getting into comics i'm thinking of getting back into comics and it was so much easier to sell them on a trade than it was on a couple of single issues uh just just and as you state, it's just a lot easier to be able to mm. get through something that has a bit of weight in it. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, I mean, and you don't have to worry about jumping on points or, you know, halfway through a story well, or anything like that. I, yeah, I used to be more like, I've got my comics, I'm not going to buy the trade. And now pretty much all I get is trades. I mean, I buy a few physical things and that, though, when I do, those are the ones I get. I'm, I'm still a singles. I, I can't. <laughs> I don't know but what it is. Matter across, well, it depends on what you're buying them for. See, I, I had back in um, back in 99, I I had a house fire. No, 98, I had a house fire. and um, I don't think I'm going to like where this story is going. No, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, I had a giant bookcase full of comics, and the fire didn't reach the comics. But the problem with having 
a giant bookcase full of comics is that they're all in unique plastic bags because that's how you store your comics, mm-hmm. right? Well, plastic bags don't react well to heat. No, they don't. So I had, in after the fire, I had a giant bookcase of brick, of giant plastic bricks of comics that you could not, you'd, you'd ruin the comic, you'd wreck the comic in half just getting them out. Yeah. And my whole collection just was gone overnight. I, so I, you know, you start from scratch again. You, you re-get the ones you really liked. You, you know, you work for things. But I've never really been into it for the money. Yeah. And it's certainly like running running Armageddon. I always get the news that the media goes, oh, what's what's the most expensive comic that you've sold? Or, you know, oh, what's I hate that question. And it's, it's bullshit because <laughs> you've got to say, look, average comic is 50 cents. <laughs> They're not worth anything. Yeah. This is they're there to be read, not to be collected. You can collect them, you can make money on them, and that's a great thing to do. And if hell, if I've got a comic that I got a Superman number one and it's worth a thousand dollars, great, right? But a bulk of the comics aren't worth anything, and they're definitely not worth more than you paid for them <laughs> later. Yeah. And and you, the idea that they just concentrate on the money value it devalues what it is. I think though so, that, that that always comes from people who are misinformed, who don't actually know yeah. anything about comics, though. And, yeah. and like I mentioned, that's my hated, my most hated question whenever someone finds out that I read comics. And yeah. and and in, uh, on another level, when people talk about collectors versus readers, and uh, when when you know people are always asking, "What do you collect?" And I always found that strange because it's like, well, I'm not just because I have a collection. I'm not actually collecting. I'm reading them, but I put them away, and then they stay there in yes. my collection. But it's like all the comics I own, uh, I've read, and or if I hadn't read them, they're in a separate pile. Yeah, I always say to my wife, like when I read books, if I'm if I think I'm going to read this again, I'm going to keep it. If I might read it again, I'll keep it. If I'm definitely not, it, it's going. Somebody else is getting it. She likes to just keep them. Like she collects her books. You know, you end up with a whole stack of books. With comics, because I'm more digital now, because that's just me eating them, yep. but not keeping them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll defer to the trades because it's easier than buying the the, the comic, yep. but also because it just works better on my bench and because I'm not collecting them for money. Yeah. So I don't need the original. And that was one of the ideas of what kept me away from it. You don't need the original if you're just collect. You're just getting it as a comic. So what's the point? Uh, it's, it's smaller on your thing. It looks nicer, and it certainly it's a better thing in your hand that you're not going to wreck it or whatnot. The amount of times I've bent a comic by accident is that always irritated me because it's like it's just a little flimsy piece of paper. No, no, I must say that there have been times where I've woken up on top of a comic because I'd fallen asleep reading it, and I've bought right. another issue because or another copy yeah. of it. I just you know I'm like that with all my things, all my toys, all my books, all my comic mm. books. Uh, even though I may not reread them, for me, particularly the ones that I'm most fond of and the one that I've, are the ones that I've loved, uh, they hold a special place in my collection and they stay there. But yeah. at the at this present time, uh, there is there's a divide in in all my in all my in my collection, and so there's ones that I don't care about, and then there's a really small amount where it's like, well, these ones uh, I oh, yeah. love to there's, the to my dying day, and I will never part with them. Always that. I mean, I had. Um... All of my kids, I've got kids, I mean, my kids are all, all adults now, but I've had kids while I've been doing a lot of the collecting. So everything I always bought, I bought with the proviso that I, it's not in, a, not in the container, it's, I'm user, it's either on display or my kids can play with it. It's because that's what they're there for. So I generally didn't mind that they were, you know, stuff got broken, it got broken, you know? Yeah. But I never really had a lot of things that were, were, were really big or there's a lot of small stuff. And then the earthquake in Christchurch hit in uh, late 2000, uh, early 2011. Mm-hmm. And pretty much any, like I had this um, Weta workshop Muppet busts. They were really nice. They really looked I remember just them. like Muppets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They were great because they looked like the Muppets. And I had 12 of them and 11 of them got smashed up shit in the earthquake. Except for Captain Link Hockstetter. And he, <laughs> he bit the dust in June. And it just, they just weren't designed to fall off a shelf. Yeah. And I mean, most things aren't. But no. So a lot of the stuff that I've bought since then has been either big or designed to, to be a little more stable. But I, the, my favorite 
so I mean, there's a few things that I really treasure, but the one thing that I treasure that I got this last year was uh, when I was a kid, there was uh, I was at a trash and treasure market in uh, Melbourne. Yep. And there was a, a guy who was selling a couple of old Doctor Who toys. And there was this giant robot from the Tom Baker episode. And it's a shitty looking toy, but yep. it's a nice, you know, I wanted it. And it took me forever and I couldn't find my mom. And when I found her, she was like, you know, no, I'm not buying that for you. And, you know, so I didn't get it. Yeah. And it was like, ah. Oh. So, you know. How long always, How long have you spent in your life looking for that? I'm sort of. I kept looking for it, but I never really, like, jumped online and really looked for it. Mm. And last year I was like, you know what? I'm just going to look around. And I, I found one and it cost me a small, you know, not a lot, but not, you know, it was about four or five hundred bucks. Yeah. And I got it shipped from England, and it's it's legs are held on by rubber bands, and it, it it's great. And it's sitting in the middle of a bookcase um, that I've got now. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's 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 every time I look at it, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there you are. Yeah, <laughs> you you got your rosebud. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> getting back to getting back to the books, what types are, what type of criticism, positive or negative, have you gotten for the books that you've written? Well, there's definitely, I've definitely learned a lot. Like I did a script for a movie and that was a learning process for me as well. Um, just to sort of get to the, the point where I could um, work out what what I was trying to achieve, what I was trying to, to um, say and the way it was being said. I mean, there's the normal three-act structure, which I don't necessarily like to follow, but it, it's, it's, um, it's good to have that sort of payoff. Yeah. But... I don't know. I mean, I deal with a lot of different guys. I, I've definitely had some interesting experiences doing it. Some, uh, particularly getting it off the ground was surprisingly difficult for me. Okay. Getting people to work on the projects was harder than I thought it would be. But are you the, talking mainly just uh, artists, or do you mean like the whole, like uh, almost everybody? Mainly artists, but I also feel like I'm still stumbling around trying to find work out how to do this. Yeah. It's every time you think you've got a handle on it, then you, you realize you don't. And there's other stuff to learn. Uh, I, I've been in a better position than most. I've created more content than most. And I've worked with some great guys. I mean, I, once I got some, all of my artists at the moment are based in Chile. Yeah. Once I sort of got properly connected there, that that helped a lot because they they know their stuff. They're, they're passionate about the, the, um, the, the medium. The great and artists too committed to it. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's a big industry over there. I mean, the Brazil Comic Con's gotten quite a lot, la quite large, but Chile's close enough to that 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 you can feel the same sort of vibes. Mm -hmm. And and so with, with with that, what's the process? I mean, considering you're dealing with with people from another country, uh, how does that how does that work? How do you convey your ideas, or is it uh, or are they scripts? Scripts. Um, I mean, you get. I mean, I'm running the whole thing. So for me, it's they get a script, they go through it. Sometimes you get a rough page. Sometimes you get a much more detailed page. Mm -hmm. You sort of look at it, you go, oh, no, yes, maybe. And then um, the normally normally it's pretty good. I'm probably more a lot more relaxed than I should be about editing. Yeah. Um, I, my attitude is, tends to be if the art looks good, I'll adjust the story to, um, you know, if, the dive, if I have to trim the dialogue a little to fit it in, I'll, I'll make that work. Because generally you can. There are times when you can't. And, and that's more up to the artist to look at what you're doing and go, oh, yeah, he's, he's got a half a page of dialogue here. It's, uh, you know, we can't fit this here. And yeah. I've had that happen a few times where they've just drawn an extra page because, you know, it wasn't going to work that way. Yeah, right. And do you, so uh, are you, are you self-editing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty much... I, my artists do my artists do I've got an artist who does the ink pencils inks and then somebody does the coloring and somebody else does the lettering everything else is pretty much a mind that's a lot of it sounds like a lot of work bill um we it, it used to be I've toned down what I'm working on at the moment we've got normally we've had like two books a year mm -hmm. um, I've got one this year just because we've wrapped up a bunch of other stuff and and I just needed to concentrate on getting them out there more without rugged, instead of just creating content that was not really getting the coverage I wanted it to get. And so, so with, with the editing, uh, particularly, you know, self editing, are you, how critical are you with what you've written? Are you doing 
multiple drafts or are you, are you probably not critical enough but <laughs> I, the way i tend to like the time traveling tourist book what i tend to do is write work on the story until i get get it to the point where i think okay this is this is the general beats of the story that i want to do mm-hmm. and then i'll write a uh, synopsis of it and then i'll take that say if that synopsis is 500 words then i'll sit down and i'll make it a thousand words and then I'll make it 2,000 words. And then I'll get it to the point where this where I, uh, this is the complete story. And, and doing that, I'll, I'll edit out bits or this doesn't make sense or I'm, you know, this, this needs to be elaborated on or that kind of thing. And then I'll drag it into final draft and um, just start working away on you know, page one, panel one and work out Sometimes a paragraph is just a page. Sometimes a paragraph is two, three pages. So mm. it depends on how we're doing. And I tend to do the breakdowns of the story first. Sometimes doing a bit of dialogue as I go. If 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 the if I've got a really clear idea of what that particular page is trying to say. Mm. And but generally, and then I'll finish that draft, and then I'll go back, and then I'll do dialogue over that, and then I'll redo it again. But Again, I, could I use the help of a professional editor? Yeah, but I'm just not set up that way. And and I think that uh, I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm a good self-editor, yep. but I'd be an idiot if I thought that more people contributing wouldn't enhance the work. Yeah, and, and with, yeah. with those more people, so are you sending uh, your scripts with notes to the artists? or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's getting. They tend to, to get the get the early drafts, and and I'll tweak it a bit and go through it. But the the guys I've been working with, like Gonzalo Martinez, has done seven hundred pages of art with me so far. So he pretty much knows what I'm what I'm asking for and what I'm doing, and and I pretty much leave him to his thing now because I I trust him to do a good job. Yeah. And there are times when you go, you know, this or that, or or I haven't made something particularly clear, and he's he's done a, a the general art, and he has to change it. There was a, a gag that I did with the death of the father of tragedy. I can't remember his name, but there's a Greek dude. Mm-hmm. And he died because a bird was flying overhead and saw his bald head. And the, the birds in Greece, they'd pick up turtles and then smash them on rocks. Yeah. Right? And that could have cracked them up and eat them. And so this um, bird was flying over, saw this guy's bald head, thought it was a rock, dropped a turtle on and killed him. And <laughs> yeah, this is the, the death of the father of tragedy. So when we did that, he drew it, and he had hair. And I was afterwards, I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you got to remove it's the a hair. little thing, but got to sort of. You know, I didn't put the context of what the what who he was specifically. I mean, yeah. when when you're doing a time travel book, there's a lot of stuff that you can look up. Like the uh, the, the Darwin fairies, there's a picture of Charles Darwin's house. His actual house has been drawn in the book because he just looked it up and said, "Okay, well, there's his house. I'll just draw that." Yeah, right. Um. So when you're dealing with, you know famous old people you know people in history there's at least some context that you can get but i missed that one so i um you know chugged it through you mentioned some some issue is there anything regarding the language barrier or are they are they can can you converse uh, them in english pretty good actually pretty good I, I went over to chile a few years ago and and i mean english is definitely second language there but it's you, i mean you get by pretty easily and all oh, the guys okay. i deal with do it so uh, I mean, hell, the guy who does my lettering is in Chile as well. So, right. You know. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> there you um, go. Yeah, no, don't. I mean, that don't. That's one of the things that I think a lot of the. I don't know if you want to even call us first world countries, but essentially a lot of the European countries like Australia, New Zealand, England, America specifically, don't think of is that a lot of these, a lot of other countries, they. You have you go to Korea and they teach you Korean. I mean, because you, you grow up with it. Yeah. But they also teach English, and a lot of people there learn English as a second language solidly. Whereas you know, over in all of these European countries, we're just you know, you do a class in French, but you're lucky if you can count the numbers by the end of the class. Yeah. You know, it, bilingualism isn't a norm here at all, and it is very much in a lot of those countries. Yeah. So yeah. The, the idea that they though they what's the communication barriers like is is not one that's normally something that you hit too often. I mean, I, I've done enough traveling to um, 
without really doing a lot of preparation. You just turn up, and people can people can understand what you're saying. Yeah, it was more more so just in like in terms of translating, like you say, like if you're trying to do a gag, or you know, th- there might be subtleties in what you're writing. Oh, that yeah, doesn't there, translate. There's always a little bit of that. There's the cultural differences. Um, yeah, and that's kind of more what I was speaking. Generally, to. it's surprisingly similar. Oh, that's great. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. And so uh, you, you mentioned uh, you ran Armageddon uh, in, yes. in New Zealand. So is that that's still going? Yeah, 25 years this year. Oh, fantastic. And was that in, how was that connected to the Armageddon that was happening here I, in, in, in Australia? There was three guys, one who runs First Contact Conventions, two guys who were sort of heavily involved in um, Friends of Sci-Fi in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to them, and they were like, oh, we're, we're thinking of doing an expo. We think we should do one. And, and I said, well, why don't we all jump in together? You can use my infrastructure, and we can do it. And pretty much that was the thing. So, I mean, it was their idea originally. Yep. And I sort of jumped on board, and, and you know, we did that for about seven years. Oh, wow. Because they're now AMC, but you're still you still They retained. did. Yeah, he did AMC. He tried to – Scotty, who was first contact, when, when I, I just went – we got to a point where I was just like, look, it's, it's not – I'm not getting the return for the amount of time that I'm putting into it. Yeah, you know, we had some. I mean, it was fun to do, but it just wasn't re- financially rewarding. Which, at the end of the day, as much as you want to do stuff, there's, there's got to be that. Yeah. Um. And so he did it for I think 2015, 2016. But uh, again, it's it's a surprisingly difficult thing to pull off. And a, a lot of the people who are doing shows now, most of them either started or still um supported financially by their parents yeah um, right there's other people paying money to say here's a bunch of here's a hunk of cash to to get yourself set up to to do what you need to do whereas you know i've never had that so you know any losses are losses that i've had to take on the chin so yeah right fun times and and how do you how do you suppose um again stacks up versus the bigger ones like san diego and are they actually lucrative for comic for comic creators, uh, in your I don't know. Opinion. I mean, I do. I've done the last three years of Comic Con, mm-hmm. and it, it's fun to do. And um, but I've never made any money there. Um, I mean, they might go there to wave the flag because it's the it's Comic Con is Mount Everest. It is the best show. You, if you're a fan, if you're a geek and you like shows, it's the one show you have to go to. Once I, I have I haven't been there in about fourteen years. Yeah, and it. It's not much different. Yeah. It, it's different. The, the biggest difference isn't the floor. The floor changes every year, mm-hmm. right? It's a little more film orientated, but not not really much different. It's the city itself, and that's what sets Comic Con apart from any other event that I've been to. Right. Uh, I mean, I've been to C two E two in Chicago, London Film with Comic Con, New York Comic Con, and uh, those are the main ones. I, I want to get to Toronto for the for their one, but. Those ones are great shows, and they're very comparable to the main floor that is Comic-Con. What Comic-Con has is a city-wide event. It is parties, and nowadays a lot of the movie guys are setting up stuff that's happening, you know, you can do the Jack Ryan experience or the, you know, the the, the good place, IHOP pancake place was open, and all of those kind of things that you don't even need to get a ticket to Comic-Con anymore. You just rock on up to San Diego. you got plenty of stuff to do. Stand in line to do these other things, yeah. And that's that's an incredibly different thing, and something that I've been able to look at, but never really be able to experience because I just don't have the time to, you know, wait eight hours to get into something. <laughs> um, but uh, I forgot about I mean, that. I, wait, I queued up, I queued up for five hours to get a, a band, and then four hours to get into the um, Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who panel. Um, wow. And that was worth it because you know I was like, great, get to see her live. I'm, I'm tick tick that box, yeah. But yeah, that that's what sets that apart. But as a show, I mean, like the the UK shows, and I've, I've gone to the London show quite a few times because I know the know the guy who organises it, mm-hmm. and that's a great celebrity show. It's probably one of the best shows for that on the planet. But as a an event, 
Comic-Con and New York and those shows have more on the floor or more different stuff on the floor because there's more of that stuff in America. Yeah, right. Whereas the UK shows tend to be more, I don't want to say collector's fair because that makes them seem small because they're not. And they, they can be amazing for the bits and pieces you can get because there's a lot more of the English sci-fi stuff and, and the little nicks and knacks there. Yeah, that sounds um, more like what we have here. Yeah, but there's less of the big things there. And there yeah. should be because the show is big enough for it. Um, and Australia has is lesser but still has that good collectability stuff. Yeah. And the issue that I get in New Zealand is that we just don't have those collect that that kind of stuff isn't here. And that's a constant struggle for the New Zealand side to try to right. present a sci-fi pop culture event. People from overseas come over and go, oh, this is a nice show, but it's not, you know, it, it doesn't have the same level of comics or collectability that you can get even in Australia because there's, you know, in Melbourne, there's a dozen or, or 20 comic stores around. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Zealand, there's maybe four or five. Yeah, right. So, you know, and, and all of them are struggling. So, because it's comic stores. I mean, anybody who's in anybody who's into this industry is, if you're doing it for money, you're in the wrong game. You're in the wrong game. Yeah. I mean, essentially, if you're doing it to struggle for money, then you're okay. Yeah. If you're doing it to succeed with money, then you you yeah, and you manage it, which some do then my hat's off to you because it's not an easy thing to do. Do you think that the, the, the Aussie cons or, or in even New Zealand cons, do they have a finite life? You know, because we've got our 25th anniversary this year, I've been thinking about that. I think that every show is only one year away from not running. Yeah. You know, there's always a level of, what you're one bad year away from just going, I can't do this anymore. And some of the shows that have been run have been as said, very much the people who create them just come in with somebody else's money and spend it because it's just, then they don't have to worry about it. If you don't have that luxury, then it's a very different beast. I mean, Oz Comic Con, I would have thought would be chugging away for a few more years. And then of course they sold themselves to a different company. I, I yeah. mean, and they're running this year, but that changes the game plan and it just makes you step back and go, you know, who's running this and why. And it is interesting to see exhibition companies run a comic con. Yeah. Because historically, again, nothing wrong with that. They're running it as a business. Yeah. But I, I do four shows in New Zealand. And if I ran this as a business, I'd be doing one. Makes sense. You know, and that's the difference. And it, that's, why I stay off social media more and more because I've got a, a communications manager to handle that now, but also because it just irritates the tits off me whenever, <laughs> whenever somebody's like complaining about, Oh, this sucked or you didn't do this. And I'm like, you know what? Just you're lucky to get what we give you to start off with. Hmm. And that, that sounds petulant, but you, you know what I mean? In terms of it's, you can't please do, everybody. We, no, you can't. And it's, it's, you struggle to put out what you can. And then you still get a good attendance, but you still get people complaining, wanting more, 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 more. And that's, and in fact, the, the market here supports less, less, less. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a harder one. And, and Australia's the same. It's, it's absolutely it's, the same. In you fact, see, um, why is Oz Comic Con not doing um, Adelaide or Perth? Well, because they couldn't make money there. Yeah. That, that, that's the reason. That's, that's, the, you that's can, it. You can take it around any way you like, but if a show's not taking place in your city, it's because your city doesn't spend the money they need to make the show work. And the shows are expensive. They, they so, sure do look expensive. If you're paying $120 to take a photo of someone that you're going to meet for 10 seconds. Well, <laughs> okay, so that, that's, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, um, and I understand that, Bill. My, one of my main bugbears, particularly of a lot of the, the, newer, the newer comic cons that have come through, and I've been meaning to actually get uh, to to um, branch out and to speak to some some of the cats that run the, the cons that run around Australia, is uh, the the ever dwindling space for local creators, and I and I understand uh, I understand from from a financial point of view why they won't give floor space or why they would they would you know make the local creators kind of fit in a smaller box because they're trying to get. You know, obviously, they're trying to make money, but when I look at what's happening, particularly in Melbourne, for instance, over the last couple of years, the the 
the size and the percentage of growth in local creator content conventions. Um, I'm actually surprised that some of the bigger ones don't go, hey, you know what? We should actually start reinvesting in some of the local crew that are working and doing comics because that's where it all started. Uh, and call me crazy, um, but... No, I, I sort of get that. I went to... Um, uh, I said I was over in Melbourne for IndieCon mm-hmm. um, recently, and that was an experience because I, I, I talked to a comic store and said, what what show should I go? And he said, this is one of the best comic shows around. And it was a good one-day event. Yeah. The problem that you get as a as an exhibition organizer is that you've got to balance the line between you want this cool stuff to be at the show and you need to pay for the show. Yeah. And as I said, comics don't have any money. So historically, I've given space, but I've also had to limit the amount of space that we give. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and I've also had people who just mistreat it. Like we used to, we, we do less with the New Zealand comic guys now because they're, they're not as prolific and or as large in the community as they used to be. Mm-hmm. But in the past we would give them space and they got to a point where it just felt like they were just phoning it in. Yeah. Right. So, so we changed and said, okay, it's going to cost you $50, 50 bucks. And that money is going to the New Zealand comic group and they're going to use it to pay for a banner or some display stuff. Right. So we're still not charging you, but if you're not paying $50, you're not coming. And, and it sort of worked for a while, but it's surprising how, how for people who put so much effort into what they create, how restrictive they are in uh, terms of what they'll spend. And, and, and that's a generalization because it's not the case for everyone, obviously. Mm-hmm. But as an event organizer, it's very hard to provide the amount of space that you probably want and still be able to run a show because you need to charge for the space. And if yeah. these guys are getting in free, then they like anything you get for nothing, you treat it like you got it for nothing. And there's, there's a, it's a hard line between that and the attitude of I'm really great. You should just have me here is wonderful for some, but most it's not deserved. I don't, I don't agree with, I don't agree with not charging, but I think, you know, giving them, you know, giving like you say, giving them a cut rate, and making the opportunity available rather than um, oh yeah I mean well we do that we I mean essentially we do artist alleys I mean I'll I've got a an artist alley four square meters compared to nine square meters but it's not you know forty percent of the price it's ten percent of the price or twenty percent of the price yeah it's I mean if I put if I put somebody in a two meter area I'm spending fifty dollars minimum on the walling that they're, they're sitting around. Yeah. Right. And then, then you've got carpet and the tables, you know, $10. So, I mean, by the time somebody sits down, it's cost me a hundred dollars for them to be there. Yeah. Right. So, you know, asking them $300 for it doesn't seem like an, a, a, the wrong kind of move, but it's surprising how, how often I get people just going, Oh yeah, I don't really spend money or that's too expensive or like, I'm not going to cover that. And, then I also get people who fly from Australia to do it, and I know they're they're flying from Australia, so their costs are, you know, it's a thousand dollars for them to turn up, and they're walking away. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's it. I, I don't want to sound like because I know I am sounding like that I'm grumbly about it. I I want more of that stuff. I yeah. I like that stuff at the shows. I think it's stuff that that makes shows better. And I certainly work with companies to try to enhance them, and we'll we'll give space where we can. There's sometimes we deal with groups that we're just like, look, I know you've got no money and you've got a cool thing, so we'll make this happen. Yeah. But you can't do that with everybody. And, you know, it's uh, – everybody's a little different. And and you've also got to be careful about what you you do allow in because, you know, it's hard to police some of the stuff as well. Well, yeah, there was a few issues with certain – groups here in melbourne artists who would come down they weren't necessarily comic they weren't comic creators they were just people who would turn up and just do sketches of licensed material right and, and that's see that's a kicker because you, it, it's most artist alley stuff is licensed material they're they're doing here's my print of superman or here's my print of this and it's like yeah okay that that look it's your thing we're going to turn a blind eye to it because and most of the groups do as well but there's always it, it gets to a point and we've I've, I've struggled with that as well because it's particularly in New Zealand where 
there isn't a lot of pop culture stuff. When you have, when I have a, a guy who sells, I've got official Marvel t-shirts and I've got a three meter, a single stand. And there's a guy over there who's bought four stands and he's got stuff that he's printing himself. As an event, there's a big difference in terms of what people are getting back from either one, but it's hard to support the guy who gives us no support versus the guy who gives us a lot. But that that's a much that's a whole podcast right there. <laughs> it, it is. It is. In fact, uh, I was thinking, oh, how can, I don't know if I can keep going along this lines because there's so much. Now there's so much more I want to ask you. But uh, uh, along with all the the conventions and the way that that the industry has moving, particularly with with regard to comics, not necessarily pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Australia and and or New Zealand would ever be in a position where they could uh, sustain or even support a commercial side of comics? Because no, we, we, no, no, just straight up no, no. I don't because the only way they survive now is with governmental help. Um, essentially, if you can't stand on your own then you it, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you can get you can get stuff out and you can have a general appearance, but to what you're talking about is would there be a Marvel, a DC or more likely an image company that is based in Australia or New Zealand doing those kind of comics? And it, they just they just can't be. They just in my mind they can't. America is where this thing is. I mean, if you look at England, there's comics there, but you don't think about the English comic market, do you? No, and I suppose if not. They can't if they're not doing it, and they've been doing comics longer than anybody. Then it sure as hell isn't going to happen anywhere else. The Japanese um, have done it. Well, yeah, but that's manga. That's a whole different, different mentality and attitude. Mm. They, and and they don't do what I would call comics. I, I mean, that's a thing. But I, when you say comics, I'm thinking superheroes, Marvel, DC, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And you can and various, but that's a style. Manga is a totally different style and very specific to that region. And and it works well down here, but they're not – yes, I mean, that's a successful thing, but a different, more culturally significant thing. Whereas Australia and New Zealand, unless somebody – some rich bastard decides to throw a couple of million dollars at a company and set it up, it's just not going to happen. Mm. I mean, I'd love it if it did, but – I think it would be amazing. I, I just can't see how – financially there's not the way to get them into stores the diamond distribution in america is a broken system that nobody wants to fix because it favors the top guys yeah and anybody from the bottom getting in it's just got no shot to build that you'd have to rebuild that system you have to get into the american market you have to get into the overseas market as well and, and there's other markets beyond america but it's they're the, they're the fattest kid at the table, so people tend to serve them first. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, that's America. Um, <laughs> but to, to get build up an industry that you'd need, you'd want to build it throughout Australia first, and and I, I just I just don't see the will there for it or the thing. I would hundred percent love to be wrong, hundred percent love to be wrong, hmm. but I, I just I don't see it happening. It's an interesting point because I've asked that of quite a few people and, and everyone tends to agree. But I like to think that at some point, someone's going to turn around and go, well, this is how we do it. And because it'll only benefit everybody. I mean, I look at, I look at the industry. Yeah, but somebody, somebody's got to be the, um, the, the, um, the Bezos to, to say, okay, here's, I've just won Lotto and I've got $100 million. I'm going to spend half of it on building a comic empire. And nobody's going to do that. <laughs> you know, it, 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 all of these things come, unfortunately, it, it's like, it's like Trump. I oh, started really low with, with a, a small loan of a, you know, hundred million dollars from his dad. It's like, yeah, that sh- shit doesn't happen unless somebody throws you a hunk of cash. Yeah. Virtually every story you see of successful people in the last 70 years always there's there's their father or a parent behind them because they had cash Mm. there's not a lot of i made my money and i've gotten to the top it happens but not as much as as people giving you cash to go up in the the comics world i mean if you you created a a breathtaking comic that was just everything you'd want it to be you could get it out there and you could you could grow things but it would get eaten in America and, and you'd never get – the Australian market would probably still not pay you the money that you need to actually make it work. 
I don't know. I see. I see plenty of examples of things taking off here. There's a, there's a cartoon. I'm not sure if uh, you guys in New Zealand have seen it, but it's called Bluey, and it's about a couple of couple of. Um, it's about a, a blue healer dog family. Uh, it's a small cartoon, fifteen, I think 10, 10, 7 to ten minute episodes, uh, and it has exploded, exploded here in Australia, and they're now marketing it to I think thirty countries. Right. Um, I mean, well, I mean, there's, and look, Tom Taylor did the the deep. Yep. Which is great. I mean, yep. there. I, I'm not saying that there's not there's definitely not the talent pool there because there definitely is. Mm-hmm. It's I just don't have a lot of confidence in the industry's ability to support it to a point where it's going to work. Yeah, right. like even even a comic, a cartoon that works. If if, if Bluey's, which I've never heard of, but I'm in New Zealand, mm-hmm. is the next Rick and Morty, then that'd be great and it'd go everywhere. Would that create a whole industry in Australia? Probably, Probably not. not. Yep. And that, that's what you're talking about. You can have individual success, and there's certainly a lot of that now. And there's some amazing, amazing people in every country. But, you know, if you're talking about having just Australia or just, you know, something in Australia really just becoming an image comics, you know, I haven't seen anything that would make me believe that that would, that would happen. And, and, and that's a sad thing because yeah. I, sure, I, I would love it to. I would love it to happen. Oh, it's such a shame. I would too. I would too. I think it'd be fantastic. There are so many things down in the southern hemisphere that we could uh, that we could contribute to comics, and I, I really do feel like uh, it would be an amazing thing to see some of that come to fruition, and just the amount of support that something like that would would do uh, would give to local kids and creators, yeah. and it would yeah, be. Yeah. There's always there's always people. As I said, it's I, I'm a I'm nearly fifty now. I'm a white dude. I'm you know very aware of what that white privilege, particularly male privilege, exists. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when you watch some of the new um, shows that come out, and you go, oh, uh, like like Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I've been watching it since I I was a kid. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's the one consist constant. Right. The last couple of seasons, noticeably, there there's much more multiculturalism in there, and there's much more um, a diversity in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And watching some of the Doctor Who fans just bitch about it, and I'm sort of looking at it going, look, I'm still enjoying the show. I can I can watch an episode and go, I didn't like that episode, but I'm still enjoying the show. Yeah. But the difference there is that when you've grown up seeing only white people in things you see it one way but it also means that a lot of people from different cultural descents don't see anything like that and so when you when doctor who comes out and you see people of all colors and creeds in it you've got to think that that's good for from my end i always think it's good to get more people into geekdom mm-hmm. no <laughs> so do i i agree it, it, i agree it, it, it was if, that, that um, whole that whole Gamergate thing, I just can't believe oh, why all these pimply dudes don't want women as part of their gamer community. I still don't but, understand that. But, you know, I've always put it down <laughs> to uh, the loudest voices in the room. Yeah, squeaky the, wheel gets the The internet oil. is very much, it's just like if there's if there's 100 people in a room and you go, okay, who doesn't like this? Most people aren't going to say anything. And you might get five guys who stand up and go, fuck no, don't like this, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's the, that's what you're talking about. But it's 5% of the people in the room. And most of the other people don't care. And I, that's Gamergate. That's a lot of that thing. That, the problem there, I think, is that you, the more you talk about them, the more exposure you give them. Yeah. And a lot of the times, they're just like Gollum in, a, in, in his cave. They're just <laughs> you know, obsessing over their little rings and, and maybe <laughs> muttering to other people. But sometimes they, they go on quests and you have to put up with their shit yeah. in the public. Yeah, I, I, I um, do agree with you. Growing up in a multicultural society, I grew up in a, in a very socially yeah, no, uh, low economic area and all I saw were people of different races in school, everywhere. And so it was strange to me to watch television and only see white people. So yeah. it's, it's been a, a remarkable thing of the last few years where yeah. I, I see all, I see uh, people from, from well, Asian countries. The, 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 just, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good example of like the original Star Trek is like, oh look, there's there's Geordie, they've got a black dude there, and and you know a couple other things, but but you don't think of the fact that they only had two women, or you know, I, I remember watching, God, what was it? I think it was Superman actually, The Man of Steel, but I, I could be wrong. Essentially, and thinking, God, there's a lot of women in this movie, 
And then I sort of, you know, I, I was counting them in, in a thing because I'd noticed it. And I just realized there's just as many women in, the, in, in this room. Like there's a military thing. There's half the half women, half men, which is what it should be. Yeah. And that, and and you can see they're making concentrated effort, and you notice it because historically all it was was dudes, and maybe a chick on the side. <laughs> and and as you know, and and it's it's um it's the fact that those things are noticeable tells you how wrong they've been, hmm. and how you, monochrome they've been as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like uh, watching, like what for my money, Watchmen was one of the best. It was the best show of the year. That that was, and and a thing that I don't see people talking about is that that Watchmen show was a sequel to a comic, not the, not a sequel to the movie. Mm. It's a sequel to the comic, and I've never seen that ha- done before. That was interesting. That was interesting. I, I can't say that I loved it. I enjoyed oh, I it. It was so good. It was just yeah. every bit was no, I, I, I loved it because it was because it took you places. When the first episode, I was like, what the hell is this? Mm. I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand what they were trying to do. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the third episode, you're like, Oh, right. And then I, I, I mean, the first episode, if you told me at the end of the first episode that Ozzy Mandius and Dr. Manhattan and those guys would be in this show, I would have gone, nah, this is just not going to happen. And by the third, by the last episode, it it it's such an organic hit. It, I, I must um, say, I was a, I, the one thing I loved about it was they they actually addressed the the big octopus. Yeah, I yeah, thought was, that's what wow, made, they that's actually what made, made it work. They made sequel. it work. Yeah, that's what made it a comic sequel versus the movie because yeah. I, I understood why they made the change in the movie. Um, I think they could have put underwear on him as well and it would have stopped people obsessing over his dick. But um, I just don't think that was such a big deal. I mean, I don't mind it, but I just think the problem is you wave a dick in somebody's face and they're going to notice it and mm. it's hard not to talk about it. And that's what becomes, <laughs> but that's what people concentrate on yeah. when they should be talking about the movie. Because yeah. I love Watchmen as a movie because it is much more true to a comic. I mean, I can't stand Jack, Zack Snyder generally, but I love Watchmen. The show, I, I I love the show. It was one of the. I, it's not often that a show you really enjoy finishes, and then they say we're not going to make another season, and you go, you know what? I'm I'm good with that. I'm really happy that it ended exactly where it ended. So, it's a graphic novel. Yeah. I mean, if they went back to it in ten years and did another one, then I'd be okay with it. One final question: as 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 a comic creator and as someone who has been who is well versed in comic culture and pop culture. If there was any commercial character that you would love to work on, which one would it be? Oh, God. I haven't really given that a thought. I, I had a – I think I wrote it down somewhere. I had a really good Wolverine story that I wanted to do. But honestly, I don't know because I've never really thought that I was at the level that I should be working on those books. There, there's certain characters that I think you can – aren't hard to write, but – I wouldn't mind. I mean, everybody. I wouldn't mind Superman just to try to do something different there. Yeah, right. But even that, I'm just not. Uh, I don't know. I, I've got, you know, four or five different books that I do that I've done, and uh, each of them, uh, you know, Warden and Attica are two very different books and 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 very different ways for me. And I've mainly concentrated on that, so I haven't really thought too much about other people's stuff in terms of what I would do with it. But that's also because maybe I just I just don't see myself at that level. Yeah, so. right. Most people would always want to write a particular character but uh, but just never feel like they've got this, the, the uh, well, like well, you say. I, I think sometimes that's a good reason to jump in and do it. I, I'm a big fan of I didn't want to do it so I did it kind of mentality. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I was afraid of it so I jumped in anyway. I mean, that kind of thing. It's, it's the stuff that you're scared of you should face. Hmm. Um, but then again, writing, unless you go in with a proper story, there's no point. But that would be where you'd want to sit down and spend a day thinking about, you know, what you're going to do to Superman and stuff. I mean, uh, Bendis is particularly good at that. I, I was His Superman has been surprisingly different to what I was expecting. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, and an enjoyable way. You okay. know, I'm loving what he's doing with it. So, I'm, I'm yeah. reading too much that when, when I saw him move over to, to Superman, I just went, oh, you know what? I've been reading your stuff for years and – I already have a problem with Superman, so I'm just going to leave it at that. And I, I never just, gave it a I'm shot. So, I enjoy Bendis' stuff, but I do find him very like like okay. When you're watching The Flash, it's a great show, but it goes. It's the same model that we had when Smallville was on, yeah. which is some stuff is going to happen, 
but a lot of times it's just going to be people talking about their feelings. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the nature of the show. And it's, it's, you know, it hasn't changed in the last 20 years because they're pretty much doing the same stick. <laughs> Arrow, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, same stuff, just with superheroes and, and different mentalities in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bendis' stuff sort of felt to me always the same sort of thing. A lot of talking um, and limited action. And I tend to be more of an action sort of fan. Yeah. And, and there's times when that is amazing. And it definitely could write better than I could in that respect. Mm -hmm. But there are times when not. And with his Superman, I thought it would be more of the same. And you can't, you know, you can do Superman a little that way, but you can do it a lot. And he's actually done a pretty good job of doing a, doing an action one, but still having his style in there. So hmm. it's worth a read if you haven't read it. I, I, definitely, I would definitely pick it up. I might pick it up in trade. <laughs> now that I can't get the singles. <laughs> there is that <laughs> well thanks very much Bill that's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature thanks for listening I hope you've enjoyed it uh, please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use it'll be greatly appreciated if you have any thoughts regarding the show feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media you can catch me on Twitter Instagram and Facebook for more information about the show visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing in your handy web browser graphicnature.media credits Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.